Okay, we're at Lesson 26, which is the covenants, and it's really going to be interesting. I think you'll have a lot of fun. We'll see it. I'm going to put a lot of things here on the board, and, of course, I'll have this stuff as well. Let me move it. Let me move this up here to Lesson 26, which is the covenants. So sometimes we make promises, and sometimes we make promises, but we don't keep them. <laughs> you know, I'll be there, but you're not there. Sometimes it's not our own fault. We say, I was going to be there at 8 o'clock, but my car wouldn't crank, or, you know, I was going to be there right on time, and I, and I got stuck by the train, and, and the train went forever, and I was late. And so sometimes we make a promise, and we can't keep it. Sometimes we make promises, and we just don't keep them. But when God makes a promise, he always, always keeps it. And so when you think about this, in Romans 4:21, it basically says, and being fully assured that what he, God, had promised, he was able to do. Now, this is Abraham talking about, God, and he says God always keeps his promises. That's what he does. When we think about God and his word, he gives his promises. Think about things for us. He's promised us eternal life. He's promised us a home in heaven. He's promised us inheritance. He's promised us the power to live. He's, he says, I'll never leave you, forsake you. He says, I'll provide every need that you have. He'll answer prayers. So with all kind of promises. When we look at the Bible, we're going to see that God made some promises and we call them covenants. That's one way to look at it. It's an agreement that God makes with people that he's going to do something. And there are a number of agreements. That sometimes you'll look in the Bible and there's agreements between people. Uh, Jacob and Laban had a, had a covenant, had an agreement. Sometimes we'll see there's agreements between God and an individual. Sometimes God and people as a whole. Sometimes there's what we call an unconditional covenant where somebody says, I'll do something, the other person doesn't have to do something. Sometimes there's conditional covenants where both have to do things. As we look tonight, we're going to look at two, two big covenant groups. And one, we're going to look at covenants that God made with mankind as a whole. And that's found in Genesis 1 through, chapters 1 through 11, okay? We're going to see some covenants or a covenant that God made with man as a whole. There's two of them. And then we're going to look at covenants with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And we're going to find that the covenants that really are throughout the Bible, mostly besides these first two that are made with mankind as a whole, all the rest of the covenants are made with the nation of Israel. So as we start, let's, let's think about what is a covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. That's what a covenant is. And that's if I asked you the definition, all you have to put down is an agreement between two parties. And, and so when we think about a, a covenant, there is, there is a covenant that God made with mankind. And this is uh, kind of the, the idea of God made with mankind. The, this is the, what I call the salvation. And, and we're looking first at in, in this idea that the covenants that he made with mankind as a whole. And there's the salvation covenant. And then there is the Noahic covenant that God made with Noah. So that's the first two. They're made totally with mankind. That's with all of us. And so we're, we're glad. In fact, if you look at this, we'll say, oh, we're glad that he made the salvation covenant with mankind. And we're really glad, too, that he made a covenant with Noah, which he made a, dealing with the flood. And we'll talk about how they fit together. So let's look at them. And the first one is the salvation of mankind covenant, Genesis chapter 3. So if you just have your Bibles and, and you're in Genesis chapter 3, you remember what happened. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and they disobeyed, and they fell. And when they fell, God had a plan for them. And when you think about it, he, he said, here's, here's what we're going to do with that. Let me get over here. There we go. He said, um, 
there's three aspects of it. He said, first of all, the seed of woman will crush the serpent. That's really a foreshadow of Jesus coming. This is the salvation aspect. What he actually says is there's going to be a descendant of the woman, basically descendant of mankind coming through a woman, and that one will crush the serpent. The serpent's going to bruise him, but he's going to crush the serpent. That's a foreshadow of Jesus coming and trust, basically, Satan caused the fall, all that mess, and then here comes Jesus. He's going to correct it all. So that's the salvation aspect. Tied in with that, and this is the one we talked about. The woman will have pain in childbirth. Now, I didn't say it. I don't think I put it back over in this other one. But not only will that happen, the, the, the snake that came is going to crawl on its belly. But for the woman, she's going to have pain in childbirth. And she will desire to rule over her husband. When it says your desire will be for your husband, we've talked about this before, that actually means that the desire to rule. That Hebrew word is only found one other place. It's in Genesis 4.4. It's talking about desire to rule, that idea of desire to conquer. So the woman will have pain in childbirth, but she'll desire to rule over her husband. It also says that he will rule over you. There's going to be a conflict in marriage because of the fall. That's what we see. And then... The other aspect is that man would labor in his work and then he would die. That's the idea. Now, what God said, okay, here's this, here's this plan. This plan is I'm going to send a Savior. And that, that uh, after this, God covered up the sin of mankind after these three curses. And the seed that he talks about, because he talks about the seed of woman, the seed is Christ, and there is a sign of this covenant. And the sign of the covenant was the coats of skin. And if you remember, it said... Uh, the man, this is in Genesis 4, uh, Genesis 3. Now the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for, of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He, he killed an animal. There had never been death before. They probably said, what happened? And they saw bloodshed. The animals died. And they thought, well, that's cause of us. Yeah, it's cause of you. So he covered them up and basically said, your sin caused death. Wages of sin is death. One day the Messiah is coming. One day the one through the seed of woman is going to come and crush Satan and deal with salvation. We would say that that was a covenant that God made for the salvation of mankind. We always talk about that the story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's the story of the Bible, and it begins right here. God says, I've got to bring mankind back to myself. The way I'm going to do it is the seed of woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. So the perfect man brings sinful man back to himself using the seed of woman, the, the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that is a covenant that God made with all mankind, and it's a salvation one. What did Adam and Eve have to do? To be saved. They believed, basically, but they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to go kill the animal. They didn't have to do anything. In fact, it says that uh, God made the garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and who clothed them? He did. They didn't clothe themselves. They probably went, oh, that fits pretty good. Thank you. You know, right? Yeah. Does this, does this make me look big? No, I don't know. But anyway, that's the bottom line, right? So what we have here is this, the first covenant we see in the Scripture is the covenant of salvation in that sense, okay? So it's beautiful, and it's all by faith. The second covenant is what we call Noah and the Flood, and it's Genesis uh, chapters 8 and 9. So if you would, just flip over there. There's going to be a little bit of kind of flipping around, but uh, this is Genesis chapter, chapters uh, 8 and 9. 
And in chapter 8, God has this deal. In verse 20 of chapter 8, he says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is after the flood. Noah built an altar to the Lord, took of every clean animal and every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings. The Lord smelled the smooth aroma, and the Lord said... I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I'll never again destroy every living thing as I've done. Now, he's making a covenant. He's saying, I'm never going to do this again. Now, th the truth is, these covenants are unconditional. Adam and Eve didn't have a part for God to send the Messiah and the Redeemer. Mankind, Noah, and mankind is not going to have a part in God not bringing a flood again. He says, I will never do this I will never destroy the living thing as I've done. And then he goes, while the earth remains, seeds have and harvest and all of that. He says, I'm not going to let that happen. It's not going to, to do that way. In chapter 9, verses uh, 8 and 9, here's what he says. The Lord spoke to Noah and to his sons and said, I myself do establish my covenant with you. And with your descendants after you, that's going to be all people. And with every living creature that's with you. He did this with everything, birds, cows, beasts of the earth, all that comes. He says, I will establish my covenant with you, and my flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall be a flood to destroy the earth. He said, I'm never going to do that again. It's not going to happen. And then notice verse 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature. And in verse 13, he says, I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign, a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember. I think it's an amazing thing. The sign of this covenant is the rainbow. So here's the deal. When we see a rainbow, it, God actually says the rainbow is for him. He says, when I see the rainbow, I'll remember, oh, yeah, I, I promised I wouldn't flood them. I mean, you know how God is saying, because that's not how he thinks. He knows everything. But when we see a rainbow, what we could say is, God says he'll never flood the earth completely again and kill every living thing. He won't do it. And if you notice, the covenant is not just with mankind. Who's it with? It's every, with everything. It's with the birds, the cows, the beasts of the earth, everything. He says, I will never cut off it again by water. And this is the sign. It'll be the, the bow. So the bow is the, the sign there. So those are the two covenants that we see that God made with every human being. So one is, is, is salvation through a Messiah, through the seed of woman. And that's for everybody. When Jesus died on the cross, did he die for everybody? Uh, when the rain comes and the rainbow comes up, does the, every human being could say, we don't have to worry, there will never be a worldwide flood. We could say there could be a local flood, because he didn't say he wouldn't cause not lo local floods, but he said there'll never be a worldwide flood again. Okay, that's the first two covenants, and they're made with us, right? With every person. Well, then we go from there, and by the way, the rainbow, God, God I will see the rainbow to remember. Now, let's think as we continue to go through this, we're going to look at the rest of the Bible, so to speak, and we're going to see the covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. In fact, it, it, we're not going to turn there, but in Romans 9, 4, when he talks about the nation of Israel, he says, they have this, they have this, they have the covenants. And see, a lot of people get confused. When, when we see the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, there's a covenant there. It's called the New Covenant, really. Because he says, this is my, the blood of the what? What does he say? Of the new covenant. And a lot of people think he's making that covenant with us. He's not making it with us. Church hadn't started yet. Church is not going to start till what? 
53 days from that day. And so the covenant is with the nation of Israel. We'll talk more about it as we go through it. And by the way, just like always, I haven't been saying this, but you can stop me anytime and ask questions or do anything, um, you know, if, if we want to go more input about it. So let's start with the covenants that God made with Israel. And they're made with Israel. They're not made with us. That's what we have to remember. And we reap the benefits of the covenants. And because we're going to see that if, if the covenant for the salvation was for all people and there's going to be a Messiah coming, is that right? How's he going to come? God's going to pick a people. God's going to pick a group to bring this Messiah. That's where the Jews come in. They are God's picked people and he makes covenants with them now picking the nation of israel has nothing to do with their eternal life salvation it has to do with their service for god salvation comes by faith and every human being whether jew or gentile has to believe but the nation of israel is picked out for particular things and we'll see that so the covenants made with israel we'll start with them and i'm going to look at this thing with you because it could get a little bit confusing and so we're going to look at uh, the two groups we're going to look at what we call this i guess this is what the top of I don't know if your pages are the same as mine. They're probably not. This is the unconditional covenants. There are four unconditional covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. And when I put only God will do, meaning God is the one that will do everything. If they're unconditional, it's not conditional on Jewish people doing something. It's what God says he's going to do. There also is the conditional covenant. There's one of those. And that is both what God will do and Israel will do. And we'll see that as we go through it. So I I think it's amazing. I'm going to write some things up here just so you can see the flow. And I'm going to tell you, when you see this, if you've never seen this before, most of the people in our church, you've seen this because we've studied these kind of things before. But if you hadn't, you're going to go, oh, my gosh. How does it fit together so perfectly? Everything God does fits together perfectly. It's just the way he, way he does things. Well, let's start with the first, the unconditional covenant is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God calls Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. Just turn to Genesis 12 in your Bible, just a couple of pages over. And we're going to put it like this. We're going to put Abraham. And we call this the Abrahamic covenant. This is what I'd say the big one, because we're going to find that that everything comes off of that for the nation of Israel. So just picture that there's this man. His name is Abram. He's living in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is southern part of Iraq today. It'd be Iraq today, down where the rivers come together, the Tigris Euphrates. He's living down there, and God comes to him and says, I want you to leave there and go to a land that I will show you. And then, and then he says some other things. That's Genesis 12. But what he does is Abraham doesn't exactly, not, doesn't exactly obey. He, he leaves with his family and they go further north to Haran. His daddy dies. When his daddy dies, he then leaves and goes to this land. And so they, the land, as we call the land of Israel, sometimes it's called Palestine, all those different things. And so God says, I'm going to make this agreement, this covenant with Abraham. Now, we're going to find that it's an unconditional covenant. And it's Genesis uh, chapter 12. So it went into effect. 
when Abraham obeyed and he left for Haran. So he really, he believed God. There's a place in Genesis 12 where it talks about right here. Later on in Genesis 15, it says Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. There's some debate. Did Abraham actually believe in Genesis 12, or did he believe in Genesis 15? We know in Genesis 15 it says he believed God was counted him for righteousness. Some people say the Hebrew there could be translated, Abraham had believed God that it was counted to him for righteousness. So there's sometimes debates on whether Abraham was basically believed God and was a believer in 12 or 15. I don't think it really matters that much. I think that he obeys God and does what God wants him to do. Now look at chapter 12, look at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will what? Show you. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. By the way, all of this is still in effect. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So I want you to see this. Here's the first thing we see is that in Abraham, now this is, this is the part on your handout that says A, B, and C. I'm going to give you an A, and there's going to be some things underneath it, so don't get confused. I'll show you where to, what to do there. There's three aspects. The first one is with Abram. His name is going to be great, so he's going to give him a great name. Is his name great? If you say to Christians, Abraham, what do we say? Uh, we're children, we're sons of Abraham because he's a believer, but he came by faith, we come by faith. If you're a Jewish person and you say Abraham, what do they say? Oh yeah, that's the, that's the start of the nation. If you're an Arab or a Muslim and you say Abraham, what do they say? That's Abraham. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he's the greatest. He's got the, probably the greatest name ever. And God says, I'm going to make you what? I'm going to make you a great name. You're going to have a great, great name. And notice he says... Uh, I will make your, you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So the very first thing in A is that he's going to make his name great. Now with that is there's three aspects tied in with that. I'm going to show them to you. They're not B and C. B and C are going to come in just a minute. There are three things. There's land. I'm going to write it out like this which we sometimes call Canaan, sometimes call Palestine. It's Israel. The second part that he's dealing with him is what we call the seed. The seed is going to be offspring. It's ultimately going to be a nation. Let's just say that's Palestine. We'll just put it that way, or Canaan. And, and the seed is, is, is actually the Messiah. It's the offspring. It's a nation of people that's going to be narrowed down to a seed, which will be the Messiah and the Savior. And then the third thing that goes in with that is the blessing. The blessing. And that blessing is there'll be salvation to the whole world. Because the Messiah is going to come from, through Abraham. He's going to get a land. He's going to get a seed. He's going to get a blessing. God says, I'll make your name great. And tied in with that, and we're going to come back to this. I'm going to show you this two or three different times tonight. But I want to show you that there's a land, a seed, and a blessing all tied into Abraham. Then there is the bee. I guess there's a bee. There's the bee. And a great nation will come from him. So I'm going to put right here, great nation. That goes up to here. See, it says, I'm going to give you a great name. There's this land that I'm going to show you and give you. There's going to be a great nation come through you. Great nation. Notice what he says. Uh, I will make you a great nation. Now, the, things, the thing that's strange about it is Abraham 
when this happens, is basically 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. They don't have any children. And God promises them all of this. And basically, they don't have any children. In fact, they don't have children until he's 100 years old. So it's 25 years from now before this happens. And they actually think that maybe God messed up somehow. Because they say, I don't think we're going to have babies. I don't think we are. Sarah said, I don't think we're going to have a baby, at least through, not through me, Abraham. And so they, they bring you know, the handmaid in, and they have a child through them. That's Ishmael, but that's not the right one. And God says that's not the right one. So he has to trust God, because a great nation will come through him. You remember God brings him out and says, see those stars? Yeah. If you can count those stars, that's how many offspring you're going to have. See the sand on the sea shores? So you know what it looks like? Well, I've seen it, yeah. That's what it's going to be like. So it's amazing. It's amazing. The third thing is that there's going to be a great blessing. So Abraham, you got a great name. You're going to be a great nation. There's going to be a great blessing. And tied in with this is a land, a seed, and the blessing, which is the Messiah. And the, we could put it this way, salvation for the world. So this one man gets to be the one that which God promised way back to Adam and Eve, the seed of woman's going to crush the head of the serpent. Abraham is the guy that says, guess what, Abraham? You're going to be the guy that that seed comes to bless the whole world. You're going to be the guy. And what's so amazing, and we just won't go into more detail, but Abraham has that, and then Isaac gets the exact same message. Jacob gets the exact same message that through them, this is all coming. Through them, this is all coming. It begins with Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. Now, the three parts of the Abrahamic covenant, I'm going to give it to you. you can, you've already got it, and we're going to give you more information on it in just a minute. But the three parts of the Abrahamic covenant are the land and the seed and the blessing. They all tie together. Now, I'm going to show you something in just a minute that makes it so incredible. And when we think about this, the other covenants. Now, how many unconditional covenants did he, did he make with Israel? You remember what we said? How many? Four. How many we got so far? One. This, this is it. This is one. Now, there are going to be three more. And guess what? They're going to tie in to each of this right here. The next three covenants that he makes with Israel, unconditional, are going to tie in right there. Now, well, let's watch them. Okay? The next... The, uh, look, by the way, so when we think about this sort of thing... Um, the first one is the land or the Palestinian covenant, okay? So let's bring it over here, and this is called the, the, the Palestinian covenant. It's found in Genesis, and uh, let me just give you some verses just for you to think about. Genesis 13, um, uh, 13, 14 through 18. I'm going to read them. That's what I want you to see. This is Genesis 13. This is what God says. Look what he says to him. He says, the Lord said to Abraham, lift up your eyes, look where you're standing, north, south, east, west, for this land which you see I will give to you. And you go, well, okay, but I, I, what, what is it? Well, then you go over to chapter 15 and listen to this. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. Now, this is the covenant right here, the land. We already see back, back in the Abrahamic covenant, there was a land, a seed, and a blessing talked about. He comes back and makes what we'd say number two here 
It's the Palestinian covenant, the land covenant, or the Canaan covenant. And guess what it says? He says, I'm giving this to your descendants. I have given this land. And listen to where the land is. From the river of Egypt. What's the river of Egypt? From the Nile to the great river Euphrates. Now, when we look and draw up the map, and we draw Israel, we draw it like this. The Nile River's way over here. And way over here is the Euphrates River. He says, all of this will be the land that I will give to the people. They've never got it all yet. They've never got it all yet. They will get it. They will get it. One of these days, these covenants will all be fulfilled. This one is in effect. And as we're going through the study, now this one's in effect. It didn't say it was fulfilled. I said it was in effect. We're not through. So we see there's a Palestinian covenant in which he gives them the land, okay? Then there's, and, and by the way, that's Genesis 13, Genesis 15, from the Nile in Egypt to Euphrates. The, it went into effect when God gave the dimensions. I want you to think about that. When did the Abrahamic covenant go into effect? The, the moment the promise was made, right? Is the Abraham covenant completely fulfilled? The answer is no. When did the Palestinian or the land covenant go into effect? When God made the promise. Is it fulfilled? Not yet. Okay, let's keep watching. Here's the next one. The seed of David or the Davidic covenant. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 17. He, God comes to David and makes a promise to him. And the promise is his son will be the Messiah. His greater son will be the king of Israel and sit on the throne as the Messiah. If you want to flip to 2 Samuel, we're in 1 Samuel on Sunday mornings, so your Bible might kind of open up in that area. But it's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. I won't read every verse. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 17. But he says, When your days are complete, I will raise up a descendant after you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. I will establish his throne and his kingdom. Guess what? What is the next word? Forever. Okay. Who was the first king of Israel? He didn't do so good. Who's the second king of Israel? Is he alive? No. Who's the third king of Israel? Solomon. Is he alive? No. But this king is going to be what? He's going to rule for how long? Forever. Who could that possibly be? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And by the way, this is Jesus' land. <laughs> right? Because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And where's this capital? Where's Jesus' capital? Jerusalem. Yeah. We're, we're going to see it. It's going to all happen here in a minute. So we've got to keep going. So we've got the land and we've got the seed of David. Second Samuel 7, 12 through 17. Son will sit on the throne forever. It went into effect basically uh, when, when God told David. I, I want you to see something. I want to read something to you. Okay. I will establish his Kingdom. His, I will establish his throne. And I will establish his house. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 17. God says he'll have a kingdom, a throne, and a house for how long? Forever. Now I want to read something to you. 
This is Luke chapter 1. Most of you have seen this before. Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary. What's he going to tell her? She's going to have a son. Who's this son going to be? He's going to be this right here, isn't he? Isn't he going to be the descendant of David? And he's going to be the Messiah and the king? Now listen to the words he uses. He said, you will conceive in your son, and you'll bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He will be called great. He'll be called the Son of God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The exact words that God told David in 2 Samuel are the words that Gabriel tells Mary, exact same words. He's the one. This is it. The seed of David, the son of David, is going to sit on the throne. Okay, so we got it. Any questions? So we got Abraham has a covenant. He's got to have a great name, a great nation, and a great blessing. And this deals with a land, a seed, and a blessing. A little bit later, God comes back and makes a second covenant, and it has to deal with the land. A little bit later, he comes back and makes a third covenant, and it deals with the Messiah and the seed. Well, we got one more, don't we? What's this one? This is what? A blessing? Watch what happens. What went into effect when God told David. The blessing of the new covenant. This is called the new covenant. I hope that rings a bell. This is called the Davidic covenant. This is called the land covenant. This is called the new covenant. Abraham said, you're going to have a land, that's the land covenant. God told Abraham, you're going to have a seed, that's the Davidic covenant. God told Abraham, you're going to have a blessing, that's called the new covenant. It's Jeremiah 31. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Isaiah, Jeremiah. When you get to Jeremiah, go to 31. And I want you to see this. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, this went into effect. Now, when did this one go into effect? It went into effect when Jesus died on the cross. Now, when did this one go into effect? When God told him about the land. When did this one go into effect? When the promise was made to David. When did this one go into effect? It went into effect when Jesus died on the cross. You could say, how do we know that? Because Jesus said... This is my blood, which is shed for the blood of the what? New covenant. What did he do in the night before he went to the cross when they're having the meal? He said, take this bread. This bread represents my what? My body. Take this juice. This, this, it represents my blood. The blood of the what? Of the new covenant. And it's found in Jeremiah. Listen to this. Jeremiah 31. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the nation of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made when I took them out of Egypt. What covenant? We hadn't got to it yet, but what covenant did he make when they came out of Egypt? What did they get when they came out of Egypt? The Mosaic Law. We haven't even talked about it yet, but this is a different covenant. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And it went into effect when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And it's powerful, powerful. Hebrews, uh, if you want to write it in Hebrews 8, 8, talks about the covenant, uh, the the blood of the new covenant covenant so just think about this so here's jesus sitting with the men and he says this bread represents my body this juice this this drink this wine represents my blood the blood of the new 
covenant. That was the covenant promised in Jeremiah's time. This is, this is, uh, when did Jeremiah live? Who knows? Five, 500 and something years before Jesus was ever born, the promise came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, that that new covenant is coming. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant one of these days, just like, not like the one I made when I brought you out of Egypt. So, Abraham was promised the land, the seed, the blessing. The Palestinian covenant dealt with the land. The Davidic covenant dealt with the, with the Messiah and the seed. And the new covenant deals with the blessing. Because through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Okay, everybody got it so far? Does it make any sense? Okay, so that's the powerful part that we're seeing, these unconditional covenants that God makes with the nation of Israel. And uh, did we, when we get to the part, we did talk about, uh, oh, no, we didn't. Here we go. All are going to be fulfilled. By the way, when, when will Jesus Christ, as the king, be sitting on the throne of Israel in the land, in belief, with the new covenant ruling the world as the savior of the world? When is that going to happen? That's that second coming when he says, that. so all of this, all, these all went into effect. I think, I, I think I have a deal. Where understand that there's a difference between a covenant being in effect and being fulfilled. When did Abrahamic covenant go into effect? When he promised Abraham. When did the Palestinian covenant go into effect? When he promised him. When did the Davidic covenant go into effect? When he promised it. When did the new covenant go into effect? Jesus died on the cross. Okay, they're all in effect. Are they all fulfilled? No, in fact, they're not. None of them are fulfilled. Because one of these days, Jesus is coming, and he takes the land as the king, rules the whole world as the savior of the world. That's what's going to happen. It's powerful, powerful stuff. All four unconditional covenants are in effect, but they are not fulfilled. The fulfillment comes when Jesus returns as the king and sits on the throne forever and ever. Okay, and then there, there's, there's the information for you. Israel will have their land. If you wanted to, I've, I've just put a lot of space. You can write it anywhere you wanted to or what you want to do. Israel will have their land. It's forever their land. They possess the land. Oh, by the way, there's one thing I just want you to remember, and we won't go to the verses. But Israel, when did they get the land? Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. They went down to Egypt. They came back under Moses. They got it. Joshua, Judges, Kings. They got the land. But as long as they obey, they get to live in the land. When they disobey, they're taken out of the land. It's still their land. In fact, though, let me just be, if you really read the scripture, God says, it's my land. I'm letting you live in it. You obey me, you get to stay in the land. You disobey me, you get moved out of the land. That's what he says. And so they possess the land and live inside the land. Uh, if they obey God, they live in the land. If they disobey God, they live outside the land. They've never fully lived in the land, but they will one day. The seed of David, we mentioned that. That's 2 Samuel. The kingdom will have no end. There's a throne established forever. You don't have to write all this down because you've got it already. A house will never be destroyed. That's, that's the promise. And then, of course, the blessing is Jeremiah 31, 31. This is the blood covenant with Israel to take away their sins. It, I mean, it's just unbelievable that that's the blood covenant to, to take care of the sins of everything. 
You know, when I say their sins, but that's what he talks about in Jeremiah, because he's going to make a people group. Listen, what, what we don't always understand is that when Jesus came the first time, he offered himself to the nation of Israel as the king and the Messiah. He says, I'm the one. I've come. In fact, that night, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. He knew they were going to kill him. They killed him. What should have happened is they killed him in belief. He rises from the dead, and we go right into the 70th week of Daniel. But they rejected him. And when they rejected him, he set Israel aside. And we have the church age. And when the church age is gone, we're going to go back, finish their final seven years. And then all of this will come to pass. All of this will come to pass. It's beautiful. That's the blood of the new covenant. The fulfillment is when Jesus returns as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Such amazing truth. Okay, now, we got it. Let's do this. Let me go back just so we don't go to the next thing. That's conditional. We're still in the unconditional. Any questions or anything about the unconditional covenants that God made with Israel? He made unconditional covenants with the whole world, the salvation and the Noahic. But with Israel, he made an unconditional covenant with Abraham that had a land, seed, and blessing. He comes back to Abraham, makes a different covenant with him that highlights the land. He comes to David, makes a different covenant with him that highlights the seed. He comes back later, and it's told about in Jeremiah, but it comes to pass when Jesus dies on the cross. That's the blood of the new covenant. All of these are with the nation of Israel. Questions? Input? Anything? Okay, this, you got it, right? Huh? Oh, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. Yeah. I don't know if he... Um, the closest thing to it is he made Abraham go to sleep and he cut the covenant with him and the, pass, the fire passed between. That's as close to that as possible. The only one on, da on David, he, David just had to trust that his descendant would never, you know, would be on the throne forever. The blood, the blood of the new covenant, yeah. They're, you know, it's, it, when we talk about signs, they don't all have them as distinct as we, as we think they might or, or whatever. Okay, good, good point. What else? Anything else? Okay, let's go, let's go to the conditional covenant. What, this is what man will do. He has to obey what God will do. Bless or curse. This is with the nation of Israel. We call it the Mosaic Law, right? Mosaic Law. And it's given to the Israelites, it's not to us. I've had people, look, there are people out there that will tell you that you live the Christian life by living under the Mosaic Law. We've never been under the Mosaic Law. And when you think about the Mosaic Law, it went into effect when God gave it to Moses. Where did he give it to Moses? On Mount Sinai. He went up on top of the Mount Sinai, came back. By the way, uh, if you really read the Scripture carefully, we all picture... Charlton Heston or somebody coming down with these two big deals, right? Going, I hope I don't drop them. And then when he gets down there, he breaks them on purpose. They probably were round. They probably were the size of a Frisbee. And they had writings. Uh, there were probably two of them. And, and because he had two, two tablets. And they were probably round. And they were writing all the way around on one side and on the other side. So they had four sides. Because it says in one place that he held them in his hand. It doesn't say hands. It says hand. So it, they're not two big old things where he's coming down going, bam, you know. He, he holds them in his hands. 
I think they're like two Frisbees. I mean, they're made out of wood. I mean, made out of stone, and, and that's why he broke them when he threw them down. So anyway, th this went into effect when God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. The commandments, there's three parts uh, uh, of the Mosaic Law. I want you to, let me, I think there's a place over here. Yeah, three parts to the Mosaic Law. One is the commandments, okay? The commandments. That's the moral law between God and man. I think Adam had a way that, that to memorize the Ten Commandments, didn't you? Yeah, you told us one morning. Okay, no, you don't have to sing it. But it's a song, and he he memorized it by by singing it, and then it's really a good thing to do. Okay, it's nothing wrong. Listen, the moral code of the Ten Commandments. Nine of the Ten Commandments are restated in the New Testament. What's the only one not restated? Keep the Sabbath. We're not under that. Okay. The, the second part is called the ordinances. And that's the, the things dealing with the priesthood, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, the feast days, all of that mess. Okay. All, but I say mess. I love it. I love everything about it. I love understanding the sacrifices. I used to not. I used to get to Leviticus and say, I'm skipping on up. But when you start reading all the different sacrifices and what they did and how they did it, you go... Because I always thought, well, listen, I always thought that every sacrifice was for sin, that everybody sinned and they just brought a sacrifice. Most of the sacrifices aren't for sin. In fact, there's not even a sacrifice for willful sin. There's not one. You, if you willfully sinned, you didn't bring a sacrifice. You just said, well, whatever he does, he's going to do. Right? I mean, that's what it was. Okay, this is the ceremony part, the priesthood part, the tabernacle part. And then the last part is called the judgments, and that's the social law. That's the food they could eat. Let me ask you something. Are we under any food restrictions? We're not. In fact, if you look at, at Mark, when Jesus talks about it, he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth. And, he's, and then the passage says, thus God... Jesus said, all foods are clean. They are. So, and I know people who say, you can't eat that because it doesn't have fins. Or it doesn't. I mean, I go, wait a minute. I'm not under that. We never were under that, right? Okay, that's the Mosaic Law. What is the purpose of the law? Man, because we're not under it, but we are under law. Not the Mosaic Law, but there's a law principle that says, if you sin, you what? What happens if you sin? You die. That's the law. Okay, what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to set Israel apart from all the other people. What's God's plan for Israel? I'm going to set you apart for all the nations. So what do they want to be? They want a king so they could be like what? Like all the nations. They want to be <laughs> We go, no, 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 no. You, you want to be separate. You want to be different than all the people. So what is the purpose of the law? First of all, to set Israel apart. The second aspect, there are three things. Purpose of the law. One, to show the character of God. It shows that God is perfect. Romans seven twelve says the law is just and holy and righteous. The law is the character of God. So when you start thinking about it, you go, wow, the law is perfect. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It's the character of God. The second thing, it shows that we're sinners and we don't measure up. If you read Romans 3, he basically says that the law causes everybody to shut up. Because you can't say I'm righteous because when you look at the law, it shows you're a sinner and it shuts you up and everybody realizes they're sinners. Galatians 3.19 says that the law does that. Paul says in Romans, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known coveting was wrong except there's the law that says don't covet. And then I immediately coveted and so I broke the law and it shows I'm a sinner. The third thing is it points us to Christ. In Galatians, he actually says the law is our schoolmaster to point us to Christ. 
And that's what the law does. Schoolmaster doesn't mean the teacher. Schoolmaster was a slave that would take the, the young men and take them to the school so they could learn. Basically, the law takes us to Christ so we can be saved. If you look at the law, what do you see about yourself? What? You're a sinner and you can't, you can't save yourself. So the law says you can't save yourself. You've got to go to who? got to go to Jesus. That's what it's all about, okay? That's, that's good stuff. The law shows we're sinners. Now, let me show you something else about the law. And we're almost through. But the law is limited. Watch this. The law cannot justify a person. What is Galatians 2.16? Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Law can't, can't justify anybody. The law can't make somebody righteous. The law can't declare somebody righteous. So the law is, is very limited. It cannot justify a person. The law will tell you where you're wrong, but the law can't get you right. Okay? Second is, the law cannot give salvation. The law cannot give salvation. And you remember what he says Where's in the Galatians passage? Uh, um, is it 321 that says if, if, if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for what? For nothing, needlessly. Law can't, law can't give salvation. The third thing is, it cannot give us power. He said, how are you saved? By the Spirit, you know, coming, yeah. Are you going to live in the flesh? You going to live by the law? No, you can't live by the law, because the law doesn't give you any power. The law says, this is right and this is wrong, but it doesn't give you the power to live right or wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't. Can't do it. Okay, now look at this. The law was fulfilled. In, did, you, did I go too fast? Did you need to get one last thing here? It cannot, yeah, just. Oh, I think that um, in 321, I had something else. I think I had that originally down, but it is 221. But there's another place, in, I think in Galatians 321, I may be wrong, because I had that, I looked that up as well. Yeah, it says, is the law contrary to the promise of God? If a law had been given which was able to give life, righteousness would have come on by the law. So the 321 is basically saying, law can't do it either. It can't give you salvation. It can't give you life. But really, 221 is the better verse. But it's, it, we should have both of them. But uh, I looked it up, and I was going to just add 221, but I didn't. But it has 321 too. Okay, anything else? Everybody got that? Okay, now... The law was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, you're going to love this, okay? You're going to love this because, number one, he kept it perfectly. He kept it perfectly. Do you remember what Jesus said? Who, who condemns me of any sin? Nobody said a word. Nobody said a word. What did, they, what did they claim? Think for just a second. What did they say to other people that Jesus did? Number one, he's, he's controlled by the devil. And that every miracle he did was demon-possessed. And then they said that he didn't pay. They told, they told, they told uh, Pilate that he didn't pay taxes. And he did. We know he did. I mean, think about the things they tried to say, but none of them were true. And the worst thing they said about him is he hangs around with sinners. <laughs> they were the biggest sinners, but he hung around with the other sinners, that the people that were called sinners. By the way, y'all understand that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not consider themselves to be sinners. They said, we're righteous through the law because wherever the law tells us, we try to keep it. If we were not able to keep it, we offer sacrifices. But we don't really mess up much. Then there was the regular people who were not called sinners, but they tried to be good people. And then the ones called sinners were like the prostitutes and the tax collectors were immediately called sinners because they took up tax collectors. And uh, even the tanners, because they, they were out 
Well, they had all this mess on them all the time. They were sometimes called sinners because they stunk. And they, you know, I mean, so, so when they said to Jesus, he hangs around with sinners, he was saying, they were saying, he hangs around with prostitutes. He hangs around with tax collectors. He hangs around with people that don't try to keep the law, that don't even care. And he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. I love it. He kept the law perfectly, and he died to pay the penalty of the law. Oh, he died. He, 1 Peter 2.20, Hebrews 9.15, I'll go to it in just a second. But 1 Peter 2.24, he bore in his mighty our sins. The Jeremiah passage talks about the blood of the covenant. Listen to this. I, I, I love this. This is one of my favorite things that I've, ever, that I've ever seen in the Scripture, if I can find it. Listen to what Jesus did. When he died for our sins. Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come. This is Hebrews 9 beginning at verse 11. When Christ appeared as the great high priest of things to come. He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That's not part of this creation. Now on the earth y'all know that there was the tabernacle or the temple. It says when Jesus died. He didn't go through the one on the earth. It says he entered a more perfect perfect tabernacle, not part of this creation. He didn't bring the bulls of goats and calves, but his own blood, and he entered a holy place, the holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You understand that when Jesus died and his blood was shed, he took his blood into a tabernacle in heaven, that the one on the earth was a pattern after the one in heaven. And since he's the great high priest, and he's of the tribe of Judah, and he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he couldn't do anything with the earthly tabernacle, that's for the tribe of Levi. He took his blood into a heavenly tabernacle and poured it out as the payment for our sins. Hebrews 9. Is that, is that amazing? I mean, could you, could you just, can you just look at this and go, I just, that is made, that is amazing. It says here, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he went into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews 9, 24. It's unbelievable how great that is. Okay, so. He took his blood to the holy place. So here's sort of a summary. God made the covenants. He made with all people the salvation covenant found in Genesis 3 and the Noahic covenant found in 8 and 9. He then made covenants with Israel. They were unconditional ones. The Abrahamic one that had the land, seed, and blessing. And then the Palestinian one that went with the land. The Davidic covenant went with the seed. And the new covenant that went with the blessing. He also made with Israel a conditional covenant. And by the way, a conditional covenant. What did they have to do in the Mosaic Law covenant? Keep the law. <laughs> and see, the law had provisions for failing, Right? What did you do if you failed? You had to offer sacrifices. I mean, the whole thing was set up. But it was conditional, and it was temporary, by the way. These all went into effect, and one day they'll be fulfilled. This one went into effect with Moses, and it ended when? When did the Mosaic law end? Huh? Not at the beginning of the church. Jesus... The, the new covenant goes into effect, which has taken the place of the old covenant. When? When Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. So that's why he says, you're no longer under law. 
but you're under what? We're under grace. Okay, so then that, that's the Mosaic Covenant. So here's the verses that you've got to memorize. <laughs> the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to go from this country, from your relatives and father's house to the land. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you. What? A great nation. I'm going to bless you, make you a great name. You'll be a blessing. Here's the key. I will bless those that bless you. The United States has always blessed Israel until now, be careful. Be careful, United States. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who you curse. I will curse. If they curse you, I'll curse you. Just talk to, talk to Germany and Hitler. What happened to them? What happened to the Romans? What happened to the Babylonians? What happened to the Assyrians? What happened to the Philistines? And in awe in you, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Is this the most, this is so good. It's so good. It's so good.